Welcome back to another episode of the Real Talk Bible Series, a part of the Edmo Show. We miss you guys. It's been a while. We have not really been putting out any episodes in July. Um, if you guys have listened to the regular show, we've had a lot of things going on. We are we are trying to construct a new space for recording so that way we can start streaming and doing presentations and all types of other stuff. So we're trying to make this a little bit more professional for you guys. But before we get into anything, if you guys are not following along with us, please, 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 please use whatever Bible you want to. We are on Exodus chapter 6. But we're not using the King James, well, at least I'm not using the King James Version. Whatever Bible you want to use, please it, use whatever you feel comfortable with. But for me, I'm using the Messianic Jewish Family Bible Tree of Life Version as my Bible of choice. And for those of you who are new, the reason why I choose this Bible is because they they focus on the Hebrew context and the Hebrew traditions and culture in this Bible, they explain a lot of those things. Whereas I feel, and this is just my opinion, the King James version or the NIV version, whatever, whatever Christian based version, um, does not, they don't really understand these Hebrew traditions. And a lot of times they leave the reader feeling confused. Um, a lot of these things aren't really explained too much. They kind of just want you to get it. It's, there's no explanation. However, also for the translation purposes, I wanted a more Jewish heavy version because, like I said, I wanted a more Hebrew version. But also the words don't really translate very well. As we all know, throughout time, language changes. And sometimes when we're going from ancient Hebrew culture in the Middle East to modern 21st century English speaking American culture, the two don't really have much in common. So a lot of things gets left into context. And a lot of times these translators throughout history get get the translation out of context. Some things just get lost in translation, you know, no pun intended. But um, but that's the reason why I'm using the TLV version. Use whatever version you want, but that's my reason. We are also using Dennis Prager's Exodus, God, Slavery, and Freedom as an extra source, along with many other sources online um, that I can probably get my hands on, you know, like Bible hub or Jewish learn or all this other stuff. So as, uh, we're kind of pressed for time today, so we are going to get through this and this is sort of the precursor to one of the most iconic, uh, pieces of the Bible, which is the, the, uh, the plagues, but we're going to go ahead and read. And in the TLV version, it titles this section, how will Pharaoh listen? Chapter six begins. Adonai said to Moses, now you will see that I am going to uh, see what I am going to do to Pharaoh by way of a strong hand. He uh, he will let them go and drive them out of the out of his land. Then we get down to another what I'm assuming is a subchapter because it has another title. Parashat Vi Vaira, which means uh, in which translated into English and I appeared. Excuse me, as I'm getting my notes all set up. So God spoke, and this is verse two. God spoke further to Moses and said to him, I am Adonai. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty. Yet by my name, Adonai, did I not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan. 
and the land of their pilgrimage where they journeyed. Furthermore, I have heard the groaning of B'nai Israel. And for those of you who are just now tuning in, B'nai Israel means sons of Israel. Uh, I've heard the groanings of B'nai Israel, whom the Egyptians are keeping in bondage. So I've remembered my covenant. Therefore say, therefore say to B'nai Israel, I am Adonai and I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from your bondage and I will redeem you with outstretched hands and with great judgment. I would like to stop here. Um, um, and I, I'm going to try to keep reading. I'm going to save my comments for later. Uh, but this one, I kind of really want to touch on because to me, again, I think that this is a precursor as if you guys have not listened to the discussions between myself and Alfonso Rachel of the Zopium Den and the Zoloft and all his other works, 20 pound sledge. We talked about how the, um, how the old Testament is a precursor and foreshadows the coming of Jesus or Yeshua. And if you listen, and I, I urge you guys, please go listen to Alfonso Rachel. Trust me, he has changed my life. Um, he's got, he helped me get out of my way. Uh, he helped me find the path from being agnostic and an agnostic atheist, which is kind of, which is kind of contradictory because I believe that there was a God. However, as far as all these religions and stuff, I, I wasn't really sold. But and end up finding my way, not by force, but leading me, showing me the path to uh, salvation through Yeshua. You know, and the reason why I call him Yeshua is because that's what his name is. His name has a meaning, whereas Jesus does not. And we'll talk about that. You know, I've talked about it before, but we'll keep talking about it, you know, as time goes on, because I want you guys to understand this. So when this verse says, um, uh, let me see. I will bring you out. I will bring you into a land. Oh, no, that's not where I was. Um, bring you from under the burdens. I will deliver you from your bondage and I will redeem you with outstretched arms and with great judgment. To me, that that sounds like a foreshadowing of the crucifixion because through Christ or through the Messiah, we were redeemed because he sacrificed himself on the cross. But I'll keep going. Um I will take you to myself as a people and I will be your God and you will know that I am Adonai, your God, who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob and give it to you as an inheritance. I am Adonai. Moses spoke this way to B'nai Israel, but they did not listen to him because of their broken spirit and cruel bondage. So Adonai told Moses, go speak to Pharaoh king of Egypt so that he will let B'nai Israel out, go out of his land. But Moses said to Adonai, B'nai Israel have not listened to me. So how could Pharaoh listen to me? I who have uncircumcised lips. Then Adonai spoke to Moses and to Aaron and gave them a charge to B'nai Israel and Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to bring B'nai Israel out of the land of Egypt. These are the heads of their father's houses. The sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, were Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. 
These are the families of Reuben. The sons of Simeon were Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shaul, the sons of a Canaanite, the son of a Canaanite woman. These are the families of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi, according to their generation, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. Levi lived 137 years. The sons of Gershon were Labini, Shimi, according to their families. The sons of Kohath were Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uzazel. Or no, uh, Uziel, yeah. Kohath lived 133 years. The sons of Merari were Mali and Mushi. These are the families of the Levites according to their generations. Amram, Amram married Jacobeb, his father's sister, and he bore Aaron and Moses. Amram lived 137 years. The sons of Izhar were Kohar, uh, Nepheg, and uh, Zert, Zikri? Zikri, Z-I-C-H-I, Z-I-C-H-R-I. The sons of uh, Uziel were Michelle, or it kind of looks like Michael. It's M-I-S-H-A-E-L, Elzaphan, and Zithri. Aaron married Elisha... Elishba, daughter of Aminadev, sister of Nashan, and she bore him Nadab and Abihu, Eliezer and Ithamar. The sons of Kohar were Azer, Elkanah, uh, Abiasaph. These are the families of the Korites. Eliezer, Aaron's son, married one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore him Phinehas. These are the heads of the ancestral house of the Levites, according to their families. These are the same Aaron and Moses, whom Adonai said, bring B'nai Israel out from the land of Egypt, according to their, according to their divisions. These are... Uh, these are the ones that spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring B'nai Israel out from Egypt. These are the same Moses and Aaron. So it happened on that day when Adonai spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt that Adonai said to Moses, I am Adonai, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I, I tell you. But Moses said to Adonai, I am uncircumcised lips. How would Pharaoh listen to me? So one of the things that always troubled me was this whole discussion about uncircumcised lips. Of course, you know, today when we think about circumcision, we think about, um, the, you know, the circumcision of the penis and, you know, Christians talk about the circumcision of the heart. Um, let me see. Uh, crap, I thought I had it open. But pretty much people and, and now, you know, more study, I've heard people say, oh, it's because Moses had a stutter. Um, but there's some um, some that I've, I'm seeing one um, one article here saying that he has unflattering lips or meaning like he, he doesn't really talk well. 
He's not really good of speech, but I did see one. Um, and I'm trying to find it in my notes where it talked about that he didn't speak with the spirit. Like he didn't, he didn't have a, he was an unskilled, uh, speaker, but he did not speak in a way of that would move people. If that makes any sense whatsoever, let me see, uh, but we're going to get into what uh, what Dennis has to say. And I highlighted a couple of things in his book where the first thing I highlighted was there is an important Talmudic principle that states silence in the face of accusation is, in effect, acknowledged that the accusation is true. By saying nothing, God may be acknowledging it is understandable. Now, what is he referring to? He's referring to the first um, the first verse. You shall uh, and this writes it. You shall soon see what I will do to Pharaoh. He shall let them go because of a greater might. Indeed, because the greater might shall, uh, he shall drive them out of his land. Uh, and Dennis reveals that in uh, Exodus three, fifteen, God reveals himself as Yahovah to Moses. You know, most people call him Yahweh and all this other stuff, but there, there's many translations. Um, I'm trying to get to the part where he talks about the uncircumcised lips. Let me see if I can find the verse. That's verse 12. Uh, but Oh, but w- before I even get there, um, Dennis writes about, you know, the, the Bib- he kind of mentions about biblical numerology and stuff like that. Um, uh, verse uh, 6 uh, say therefore to Israel, I am the Lord. I will free you. Yada yada. Um, Dennis, and this is what I highlighted. Uh, this verse is a traditional reason why Jews drink four cups of wine at the Passover cedar. Each cup represents three divine promises in this verse, and the divine promises of the following verse: I will free you. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. I will take you to be my people. There are actually three more promises of the following two verses. Then again, four cups of wine is quite significant is sufficient i will be your god i will bring you into a land and i will give you to your i would give you i would i would give it to you for a possession god thus makes the total seven promises once again the number seven appears in the torah it means most sufficient and recurring number in the bible and it cites uh, to cite some examples the word the world was created in seven days the Sabbath is on the seventh day. Every seventh year of the sabbatical year for the land, uh, for the land in Leviticus twenty-five, verse three through six. Every uh, and every jubilee year, Leviticus twenty-five, eight through twelve, begins after every fourth forty-ninth year, seven times seven. The festival of Pesach or Passover and Sukkot, the Tabernacles. Are each seven are each seven days long? The reason, of course, is the number seven signifies God is the creator. God uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and even that verse in Hebrews contains seven words. Uh, in brief, the reason uh, that that verse and the recurring number seven is so important is that everything in the Torah and the Bible rest on the belief. God is the creator. The language of the verse, I and I will take you to be my people, 
is reminiscent of the language of the ancient Jewish marriage contract, the Ketubah, in which man takes a woman for his wife and the woman accepts his proposal. Uh, This husband and wife metaphor is commonly used throughout the the literature of the uh, of the prophet and describe the relationship between God and Israel. Most famously, the prophet Hosea speaks of God saying to the Jewish people, I will betroth you unto me forever. I will betroth you unto me with righteousness and justice and with goodness and mercy. I will I will betroth you unto me with faithfulness and you shall know God. Hosea 2 verse 21. Again, the number seven is alluded to by the seven by the seven statements of betrothal in Hosea's verse. To this day, in the Jewish wedding ceremony, seven blessings are cited under the wedding canopy, and those seven blessings are repeated daily on the seven on the seven days following the wedding. In this verse, God is telling you is telling the Jewish people they are a nation. Only insofar as God is their God. Many secular Jews have made significant contributions to the modern Jewish history. It is largely secular Jews, for example, who founded the modern state of Israel, but secular Jews who wish to uh, perpetuate a secular Jewish identity have rarely been successful. Their descendants either come to embrace some form of God-centered Judaism or ultimately cease identifying as Jews. And uh, I'm just going to keep, because this chapter is actually pretty short, and I got a couple things highlighted. Um, In verse 11, uh, go tell Pharaoh king, the Pharaoh king of Egypt, to let the Israelites depart from his land. Uh, Dennis writes, God no longer tells Moses to speak to Pharaoh politely, or to request permission for the Israelites to sacrifice to God for about a week. Moses raised, uh, uh, but we get to verse 12, which is what I'm saying. Uh, Dennis translation says, but Moses appealed to the Lord saying, the Israelites will not listen to me. How then should Pharaoh heed me a man of impeded speech? So I guess that's where the confusion with stuttering comes in. Moses raises three objections. The Israelites will not listen to him. Pharaoh will not listen to him and he does not speak well. And that is why he appointed Aaron, because Aaron does speak well. And we skip down to verse um, 20, where they explain Amron took a wife, his father's sister, Jacobeb, and bore him Aaron and Moses. And the span of Amron's life was 137 years. The Torah law forbids man from marrying his aunt, Leviticus 18, 12 through 13. But obviously such a law was not applicable before the Torah. So as we see, you know, we're getting glimpses of things that were acceptable then, but are not acceptable now. Okay, and last thing is his um, his essay titled "Prominent Parents and Their Children." This is in reference to uh, verse twenty-three. Aaron took a wife, Elisheba. Uh, uh, yeah, Aaron's sons are mentioned, but not Moses. The lack of attention to Moses' sons were and here and elsewhere in the Torah. Essentially, uh, nothing is said about them needed to be explained. And the, expl- and the explanation is probably this. They did not amount to much. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, hold on. 
crap. Uh, what is going on here? Sorry, I'm I'm yeah, I'm doing multiple things at one time. So, um they did not amount to much. The reason uh, the interesting issue of difficulty many children of grace of of great people face in leading successful and satisfying lives in the in a book about Moses overcoming life's disappointments, Rabbi Harold Kushner writes about this. Sometimes the father casts a uh, so large a shadow that he makes it hard for his children to find sunshine they need to grow and flourish. Sometimes the father's achievements are so intimidating that the child just gives up any hope of equaling him. But mostly, I suspect it takes so much of a man's, the father's time and energy to be a great man, great in some way, but not in all, that he has too little time left to be a father. As a South African leader, Nelson Mandela uh, daughters was quoted as saying to him, you are the father of all our people, but you never had time to be a father to me. Kushner relates the remarkable story he read in a magazine geared toward clergy, a fictional account of a pastor in a mid-sized church who had a dream one night in which a voice he said to him, there are 50 teenagers in your church and you have the ability to lead 49 of them to God and lose out and lose out on only one. Energized by the dream, the minister uh, throws all his energy into youth work, organizi- organizing special classes and trips for the church teens. Uh, he eventually develops a national reputation in his denomination for his work with young people. And then one night he discovered his 16-year-old son had been arrested for dealing drugs. The boy turned bitterly against the church and its teachings, resented his father for having had time for his 16-year-old, uh, 16-year-old in a town, in town except him. And the father never noticed. His son was the 50th teenager, the one who got away. Of course, this was not necessarily true of Moses' children, but the silence of the Torah concerning his children, which is not the case with the children of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Aaron, serves as an important reminder to parents to have achieved success to be sure to make time for their children. They need to try to ensure their children feel uh, feel they occupy a special place in their parents' hearts. And no matter how pressing the parents' responsibilities, he or she will always find time for them. And that's pretty much it. Yeah, so that's that's pretty much all Dennis really had to write. So, wow, we actually got through that pretty quickly. <laughs> Sorry, I'm I'm just looking at everything. So we have a lot of things going on here. We have um, God pretty much telling... Um, urging Moses to go speak to uh, Pharaoh. But God has already told, uh, I said Aaron, God has already told Moses and Aaron that he will harden Pharaoh's heart. And a lot of times, and uh, I believe I discussed it, pretty much you already had to have something there for it to be hardened. But it also shows the power of God that while he allows free will, God is still the the, uh, creator and controller of everything. And so he intended for all this to happen. 
But also, he he's also pretty much laying the field for for Pharaoh to um, accept the sins and the punishment that he and his people have afflicted. But also, we get into the foreshadowing of of the Messiah. There's so many uh, character foreshadowings of Christ. We talked about it with Joseph. Now we're seeing it with Moses. But also, God himself is also foreshadowing uh, the coming of Christ by saying that I will redeem you with outstretched arms. So to me, which I honestly feel that a lot of Jews overlook. The re- you know, Christians and Jews pretty much share, I would say, 75% of the same religious culture. And the reason and the the only things that besides ceremonies um and um uh what do you call it? Um, holiday observances, you know, because Christians, most Christians don't observe um, Jewish holidays, but if they do, nine times out of ten, it's not being um, carried out in the same way that the Jews will carry it out. But the one flaw that I really see that the Jews are making is sometimes they look at the words too plainly or they overcomplicate some things, which is easy to do because the Bible is is definitely multifaceted. You know, you can read you can read one passage and it could be plain as day, but it can also have some subtle meanings to it. It can also have hidden doors that will lead you to that will lead you to rooms that you or thoughts that you never thought possible. I know that happened to me. I know when when I finally entertained the idea of reading the Bible, especially as I stated before, when I went to church, I never really read the Bible for myself. It was always me getting secondhand information from someone else, which is why I could not have a fruitful relationship which the reason why, which I, I'm speculating, which is the reason why God was saying, you know, let my people, well, pretty much have released my people so that way they can worship me because they're getting secondhand God. They're not getting firsthand God. They're not seeing or excuse me. They're not seeing or experiencing God for the first time. But what we'll soon find out is that's not always enough. And God understands that. But the one thing that that really stood out to me and this, when i read it years ago when i started going down this path and just started you know it wasn't until recently where i said you know what and it was on it was while doing the bible series this is true everything that i'm reading everything that i'm understanding everything that i'm being allowed to understand right now and even talking to Zoe, uh, he he tells me in, in our private conversations that some that the reason that you're you're seeing change and your outlook is changing is because you're allowing God to do that. You're allowing God to to pretty much be the builder and creator that He is, and He's building in you. He's working in you. This is why you're you're able to see things right now that you couldn't see before and what you'll see later will overshadow the things that I'm seeing now which I it's like the more I read the more I study the more I investigate the more I try to make sense of things with the help of 
of Yahovah and 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 Yeshua and trying to understand what I'm here to do and what the purpose of everything is. You know, it's kind of like uh, when you get a promotion at work, you know, when you're at the grunt level, you only understand the surface things. But then as you go up, as you get promoted, as you the curtains are being pulled back ever so slightly, you know, even to me, I, I'm in lower middle management. And I've been in management for like the last 10 years of my my adult life and well, majority of my adult life from the military to where I am now. And it seems like every time I get a new step in a promotion, there's more responsibility, but there's also more that is being revealed to me. So that's why I, I, I tell people, you know, don't listen to me. Don't take my word for as gospel because it's not. I'm not a prophet. I'm not a um, I'm not a, a seer. I'm not none of these things. I am a regular person. All I can do is read, study, and learn, and try to understand and allow Yahovah, God, Yeshua to guide me where I'm supposed to go. Which I honestly, when when this verse right here, with outstretched arms and with great judgments, you know, God will redeem us. I like that was literally felt like someone punched me in the chest. The first time I read that and the first time I read that I was not a child. I, you know, the first time I read that was literally a couple years ago. It, it literally sparked it, it, you know, and not just that, but it was one of the many sparks that led me down this path. But now reading it with having a better relationship with God, it it's like I'm getting punched in the chest every single time. It's like, oh, oh, I felt that one. But to get down to the next verse, in verse 9, Moses spoke this way to B'nai Israel, but they did not listen to him because of their broken spirit and their cruel bondage. Honestly, I, I felt like the reason why I could not hear the words of the Bible, the words of God, I could not hear the voice of Yeshua and all this other stuff was because I had a broken spirit. And... Zoe had a great, had a awesome show in the past couple weeks where he talked about speaking in tongues. And a lot of times people think it's the shabadabadoo, you know, all this grand babbling, which doesn't mean anything. He says sometimes you can be speaking in the speaking in tongues is speaking in known language, language that is known to someone else, but not known to the speaker. Ultimately, what that means is I could be speaking English to you like I can be speaking on this show right now. But if I say something that resonates with you, that is speaking in tongues. Because it that message is for you, even though I'm not intending it to be for you, that is God working through me with me trying to with him trying to get a message to you and using me as a conduit that is speaking in tongues it's not this whole shabba dabba do ba 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 stuff it's really just you the listener the person connecting with what is being said understanding what is being said you know and sometimes it could be you know uh um which we'll see later on where they talked about how all these Jews and all these people of the Middle East and they all have different cultures or very differing cultures and speaking differing languages and they are all able to hear 
uh, Yeshua. They are all able to hear the word of God. Even though they speak different languages, everybody's able to hear. And honestly, in in hearing and in, in, in thinking about this, while it's pretty cut and dry when we talk about the Tower of Babel and how God confused everyone's speech, I don't I don't necessarily think it was just verbal language. I think it was spiritual language because they were of broken spirits. They removed themselves from God. So therefore, that's where all these other religions come from. So therefore, they cannot understand the same language because they're all speaking different spiritual languages. Their spirits are broken. I had a broken spirit. Most people have a broken spirit. And it's weird now because even when I'm doing something wrong, and trust me, I have things that I'm working on, things that I struggle with. And even when I find myself in those moments of temptation or things dealing or being faced with things that I struggle with, it's like I hear the voice of God even louder speaking to me versus before, case in point, pornography. I used to be an avid porn watcher. Now I don't watch porn at all. Or at least I try not to. And it seems like, and the reason why I say try not to, because damn near everything is porn. But I used to be an avid porn watcher, you know, in my earlier years. But of course, that is to be expected because you got hormones on 10 and you got and you got female draws on 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 one or two. So you got all this pent up sexual energy that you that this unchecked sexual energy that you don't know what to do with. So you just got to get it out. And now it's like when I either am presented with porn, you know, like on face, like on Instagram and all this other stuff, because to me, damn near everything is porn now. It's like I kind of get a feeling of disgust. It's like, ugh, like I can't I can't deal with it anymore. You know, even watching sex scenes on TV, I don't like it. Like, it's just like, ugh, because I feel like my spirit is is repairing itself. But. When we talk about a cruel bondage, these are people that are being beaten. They are they are being forcefully removed from their God. They're not allowed to practice their religion, which what to me, I don't like the word religion. To me, religion is man-made. This the Bible is not man-made. It is God ordained. To me, they're, they're all these religions that come out like the, these 5,000 different flavors of Christianity and all this other stuff. All this is is just man trying to make sense of something that he just needs to sit down and read and give up. That's really it. Just give it up. Give yourself up. But this whole cruel bondage. And today in America, we are living in this cruel bondage. We are living in a in a modern-day Egypt, modern-day Babylon, modern-day Rome. And the reason why I say that, and it's becoming worse, is because you can't say anything about God that is true. You can't say anything about the Bible that is true. If you speak from scripture, if you speak from biblical understanding, you are you are lambasted, you are ridiculed, you are banned off of social media because they want they they are being you are being pushed a new religion you are being pushed pretty much this molech religion this canaanite religion this egyptian religion 
you're not being now God's voice in America is becoming less and less. But what I'm seeing is, is that the warriors of God, the apostles, all these people who are kings in the heaven, in the kings in the space of God, because it, it states this in the Bible, we will all be kings, prophets and 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 priests and uh, and which men should men. Sh- men are all kings, prophets and priests in their own home when they are led by the word of God. But in this culture, we are finding men that are that are being led astray, men who are being destroyed, men who are being bred wrong, men who are being raised wrong. We are seeing that they are attacking male sexuality where they're trying to confuse sexuality with sexual liberation, which there's nothing liberating about sex. Sex is a is a very confining thing because the purposes of sex is procreation. There's nothing liberal about sex. The only liberating thing about sex is when you're actually married to someone. When we're sitting here talking about the betrothal that Dennis brings up. Marriage is being is being like torn apart. Because people think that marriage is just a piece of paper. You you just get together. And I appreciate what Kevin Samuels is doing because now he's pushing marriage to to women. But you also have men in the red pill spaces that are saying, don't get married. Why I understand where they're coming from, because they're saying these women are not fit for marriage. However, we need instead of saying don't get married, we need to start focusing on men and women being marriage material and marriage minded. So and and this can this can spin off into a lot of things, you know, like God makes in which I I really love this whole patrol, this betrothal thing that that he talked about. Let me see. Uh, Where is it? Uh, I hate when I when I lose places. Uh, Crap, where is it? I just had it. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, the the relationship that you have with God is should is the template that you should have for marriage. And it is something that I'm working on because trust me, my my marriage with my wife is not perfect. However, it is a work in progress. Just like God, nobody has a perfect relationship with God. Israel struggle with wrestle with. You know, you wrestle with God and man. You're wrestling with divinity and humanity. This is a constant thing. We will always be struggling sometime, and you will get hurt. You will take lumps. You will take scars and all this other stuff. But to sit here and 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 to tell our young men not to get married, to tell our young women to chase their dreams, we we have gotten so outside of the Bible, especially when we used to be a very biblical Christian, a Bible believing Christian nation or a, a Judeo Christian nation. So we're living in cruel bondage because things are being pushed on us. That was never meant to be pushed on us. And our churches are being exploited. You have these gay churches popping up. You have gay pastors, even though, and this is not to, this is not to be homophobic or anything like that because to me, I hate that term homophobic because phobia means an irrational fear. I don't have an irrational fear of homosexuals. I don't even have a fear of homosexuals at all. Homosexuals should be the one that, that should be afraid for their salvation. 
So, but we have these these pastors that are coming out talking about how they're gay and the Bible ordains it, even though we will get into it later. You have so many scriptures saying no, 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 no. It is you are better off being by yourself if you struggle with these things. And we all struggle with sin. We're living in a cruel nature because we're being hypersexualized. We're being we're being told to live in our indulgences. They're pushing marijuana on us because they want you to live in a feels based society. They just feel good, man. Weed is from the earth. You know, it makes you feel good. It makes you it makes you happy. But as we're seeing, the, the higher the marijuana usage, the higher the violence rate goes up, the higher the, the mental illness rates go up, the higher depression rates go up. So obviously, the more we're using marijuana, the worse things are getting. So why are people using They're pushing this cruel bondage on us. They're trying to get us bound to our emotions and not bound to God. They want you to get bound on your feelings, chasing the hottest things. The, the thickest chicks, the biggest butts, the biggest breasts, the, 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 the prettiest face, the fake, the prettiest hair, things that you can buy. Women have so terrible self-esteem because they're pushing, well, if you're not shaped like this, now women are spending all this money to get all these surgeries. And they're telling men, this is what beauty is. Instead of telling, instead of reading the Bible to see what marriage is. But also, they're telling women, you need to get your degree, you need to get your job, you need to get this, you need to get that, and then maybe by the time you're 30, you should settle down, get a family, do this, do that. But in those 30 years, you haven't developed any familial relationship skills at all. We're not even seeing families at home. We're not seeing married parents at home. We're seeing situationships. We're seeing moms and dads not living in a biblical way. So our our, our whole... Even our, we're, we're enslaving ourselves to this. Men talking about, oh, yeah, yeah, you know what? These women out here, they ain't worth a damn. They ain't this. They ain't that. You know what? Just be by yourself. Be be that that free agent lifestyle. Shout out to Coach Greg Adams. You know, not, no shade on him because I respect what he's saying and I understand what he's saying. However, that does not, as men, we are builders. We are conquerors. We are providers. If you are not acting in those three capacities, can you really call yourself a man? If you're not conquering challenges, can you call yourself a man? If you're not building empires, which is family, if you're not building a family, can you call yourself a man? Can you call yourself a king? What king does not have a kingdom? Again, People want to sit here and throw these these royalty titles, kings, queens, gods, goddesses. But what they don't understand is that these beings have domains. If you don't have a domain, how can you be a king? But also we're calling people kings and queens, but not understanding that kings and queens are to be servants of the people. But all these people who are accepting and giving these titles of kings and queens and gods and goddesses, they're not serving the people. They're serving themselves. Again, we have a cruel bondage and broken spirits. Now, I'm going to I'm going to finish off with the last part, which Dennis talks about. It was the absence of mentioning Moses' sons because of Moses, possibly because of Moses's greatness. We have a culture of entitlement. We have people thinking, oh, I'm owed this. My parents are that. I know this person. Therefore, by proxy, my worth is this. No, unless you do the work yourself, 
or unless you're ordained to do the work, which we'll find out later on in, in Exodus, Exodus and Leviticus, that Aaron's sons become the high priest and priestess. Well, the high priest, and they don't have priestesses, but the high priest and you know, to um, of the people of of Israel. For that purpose, they're already preordained, but they also have laws because, as you will see, spoiler alert, two of Aaron's sons get killed because they don't obey the law. So this whole sense of entitlement culture that we have contributes to our cruel bondage and our broken spirits. The thing that I've learned about the Bible that I wish I probably should have picked up and read for myself when I was younger is to do away with this entitlement mindset culture and put in the work. Put in the work. We see all these movements of 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 equal rights, this and that. Um, you know, put the work in. Black people want to sit here and say, well, we want equal rights. You got equal rights. Gay people talking about, we want equal rights. You got equal rights. What, what else do you want? Like how, how are you, what rights don't you have that everyone else doesn't have? What they're talking about is they're not talking about rights. They're talking about entitlements. They want equal entitlements. However, there's no such thing as an equal entitlement. Gay people want to get married because they feel it's a right. It's not a right. It's an entitlement. You have no right to get married to anybody. There, you have no right. You cannot force someone. Rights are something that you can either choose to do or not to do. However, in your choice of, uh, of participating or not participating, someone can, else cannot make that decision for you. Someone else can't say, well, you know what? Uh, you have to get married. No, that's not a right. You have no rights to you have no legal rights to marriage because you cannot force someone to marry you. At least a gun, a gun is an inanimate object. A gun cannot does not have personal autonomy. So therefore it's on one it's a one-sided party decision. Either I want to participate in my second amendment rights or I don't. Again, rights typically are one party situation. I have a right to freedom of speech. However, I can't make people listen to me. So either I want to speak my mind or I don't. Either I'm going to write what I want to write or I don't. But no one has the right. I cannot force anyone to do it. So again, we have this entitlement culture. Well, I want this job. I want this income. Okay, one. You don't have a right to income. If you don't work, you don't get paid. If you pay, if you select a job, that's that's like it's ridiculous. And this, even though I'm going on tangent, it's ridiculous that these people are, are fighting for fifteen dollars an hour, but you're not putting in fifteen dollars an hour work. Or why don't you just go and pick a job that has fifty? No one says you have to be at McDonald's. All these minimum wage jobs, no one. You're not forced in a minimum wage job, which is crazy to me why these politicians are even entertaining this. No one forces you into this. However, if you don't work, you don't eat. That's it. That's that's natural law. If you don't hunt, you don't eat. If you don't harvest, you don't eat. 
Simple as that. But anyway, guys, yes, I, you know, I, I miss you guys so much. We are going to wrap this up because, you know, I'm pressed for time. But um, I love you guys. Uh, I am so happy to be back. Uh, if you guys want to please help out the Edmo Show, as I said in the, in the, the previous episode, of the regular Edmo show. We are building this miniature studio. We are buying uh, equipment. Thanks to all the help from you guys, the, all the donations, all the shares, all the likes, everything. It all has been helping out. We really appreciate it. We really want you guys to keep helping us because without you, you know, the show means nothing. So if you guys, please, uh, we have the PayPal link, please visit our PayPal link, donate however much is in your heart. However, if it's, if you're down to your last bottom crusty dollar, please save it. Just give us five stars in a comment wherever you get your podcast. Also, please visit our friends at Wilder Tactical. Use that Edmo show code two one to get yourselves a nice little discount at checkout. And until then, I will see you guys later. Peace out.